there's several words that are powerful uh, in vocabulary, but one one of the one of the most powerful words is simply the word "but." When a sentence is broken up with that word, it gets your attention. Your attention, and and usually not in a good way. Uh, in fact, sometimes someone may be talking to you and you can sense that that word is coming, and you might say, I, I think I hear a but coming. You see, when we hear that word or anticipate it, we know that what follows is going to be something that we don't like or, or it's going to be something that, uh, that causes us to have to work a little bit harder or do something different. Let me give you some examples. Uh, you're, I don't know if any of, any of you have ever had this happen to you, but you're, you're a guy and you're dating a beautiful young lady, and she's... She's the perfect one for you, and you're, you're just infatuated. Or maybe you're a lady, and you've found that guy that he is dreamy, and he is just wonderful, and, and they call you up and say, hey, we need to talk. Now, that in itself is never good when you hear that, but, but we need to talk. And when you show up, they, they start off by saying, hey, hey you, you know that you're special, don't you? And you, you know that I, I really care about you, but... And if that happens, your your response is, don't say but, I don't want to hear that. Or or maybe you're at work and your boss calls you into the office and, and he starts off by saying, man, you are doing a great job here. You are a valuable employee and man, we so very much appreciate your hard work and dedication. But, don't say that, don't say but, because you know what's coming next. Maybe maybe. You holler from your bedroom. You're a child. You holler from your bedroom to your mom. Mom, I've got my room cleaned. I'm finished. And she comes in to look at it, and uh, and she says, "Well, well, buddy, thanks for cleaning. I can, uh, I, it definitely looks better. I can see that you've been working here, but, but is a powerful word when it's aimed at us, and it usually means that something that we don't want to hear is going to happen next." Now, let me ask you this question this morning, and if you can say yes to this or you feel like yes is the appropriate answer, go ahead and raise your hand. How many of you here this morning, by just show of hands, how many of you here this morning would consider yourself religious? Okay, boy, we had a few of you that your hands went up immediately. Some of you were hesitant. You're like, this is a trick question, right? (laughs) I, 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 I shouldn't raise my hand. Some of you might remember Neil's communion meditation from last Sunday. And he quoted an author that, that basically said it's not about religion, it's about relationship. So you realize, no, I'm not supposed to raise my hand about religion. So if you have your Bibles, turn to James chapter 1. We're going to look at the last couple verses in James chapter 1, 26 and 27. And as you might guess, we are going to see a but in the text. Now, now let me just, just be up front with you, depending on what version you have. It may not actually use that word, but really what it's saying uh, is it's, it's what it means there. So James chapter 1, 26 and 27, you're, you're going to see the, the but that appears there. Those who consider themselves religious and yet, that's the same thing as but, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and the religion is worthless. Religion that God the Father except as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. We've been, we've been talking over the last three or four weeks about what we can be. Uh, 
a few weeks ago, we asked the question, what can we be? Can, can we be a student? In, in other words, can we look at God's Word and study it? So, so I'd ask yourself, and, and maybe you need a little shove or a little push or a little encouragement, how's that going? Uh, we need to be in God's Word and student. Even if it's just small, little ways, we need to be in God's Word. We, we, the, the following week said we need to be holy. That's tough. That's difficult. Wow, can I be holy? Well, well we're never going to be holy like Jesus, but that's what we should aspire to. Last week, we just briefly talked about that we need to be the change, that we can do even little things that make a difference and be the change. So today, what can I be? Well, let's answer this way. So those of you that raise your hands, you, you are right on track there. Uh, be religious. Now, now I'm going to be honest. I've never been a fan of using the word religious. Uh, now, now, let me point out, there's nothing wrong uh, with that word at all. Uh, in in fact, I've heard some wonderful, uh, godly, holy people described as religious. If you raise your hand this morning when I said, are you religious, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, if, if a stranger came up to me on the street, and I don't know why they would ask this, but if just out of the blue said, hey, are you religious, I, I, most times or not, I probably would say yes. Now, I might give them a little bit of explanation particularly like what, what Neil had shared with us last week, the difference between religion and relationship. But, but I probably would, I would probably say, uh, uh, yeah, I'm religious. Uh, the fact is the text that we're looking at this morning, we'll, 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 see, we'll see that balance between religion and relationship. So, so today, what can I be? Be religious. So as we're talking about that, just so we're on the same page, I mean that more in the classic, not splitting hairs, non-judgmental way. I mean it more or less in a positive things, but uh, positive way. But here's the deal: we need to make sure that our definition of religious is the same thing that God is talking about. That our definition—I'm having trouble with my earpiece here, and my wife's not here to fix it. There we go. Uh, we need to make sure that our definition is the same thing God's talking about. And, and so in the text, let's see what he is talking about. He, he splits the text up basically into two different parts. Here's the first one. It's the, exam, the examination. Those uh, of us who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Now, now he kind of has a setup there. We, we notice that setup and he does that with that first phrase, those who consider themselves religious and yet. Uh, if you saw that in the text, or maybe as you were reading that and saw that, if you paused there, you, you, you might have picked up on immediately. If you were reading and that was the last phrase on a page, those who consider themselves religious and yet, and you turned the page over and, and the next page was blank, there was nothing there, it was just empty, you would probably figure out from that one phrase that that there was going to be something to follow. There there was going to be some challenge placed at you. Let me let me illustrate this way. Uh, this last week I was talking to my son Joel. Joel lives in Springfield. He's a firefighter, and he was telling me that that he was going to get transferred to a different station. He's been for the last two years at Station One in Springfield, and he loves it. Station One is the busiest station downtown Springfield, uh, and, and they have calls all the time, and he likes that. He likes to stay busy, loves the guys he's working with, but, 
But he's been telling me for a year that he's afraid he would get transferred to Station 12. Joe's on the hazmat team, and and there's only two stations that have hazmat, Station 1 where he's at and Station 12. Well, Station 12 is, and hopefully there's no one Springfield Fire Department watching today other than possibly Joe, but Station 12 is the slowest station in the department. Uh, so so guys that that don't want to work like to go to Station 12 because they never get calls. And Joel was was just saying, I don't want to go to Station 12. I, I want to stay active. I want to stay busy. And, and he was afraid he was going to get transferred. And he said one day last week, it was Monday, he was he was in the station and there was rumors that the guys were going to get moved and some guys had already found out they were going to go to this station or that station. And the rumor was that Joel was going to Station 12. And he said he looked up and he saw his captain and his lieutenant in the office talking. And he thought, this is not good. A little bit later, the captain came out, looked over the room, saw Joel, and said, Hey, Joel, come here. We need to talk. And Joel thought, oh, I know what he's going to say. He sat down. Now, now this didn't happen, but, but what do you think Joel would have thought if at that instance the, the, the intercom went off, the bell or horn, whatever happens when they get a call, went off, and, hey, we've got a fully involved fire at 6th and Campbell. Joel and his captain would have jumped up, thrown their gear on, jumped in the truck, went, went and done the call. But the whole time Joel would have been thinking, he's just waiting to bring the hammer down. He's just waiting to say, Joel, you've been transferred to Station 12. Now, now the reality is uh, he didn't. Joel, Joel just felt very blessed. The guy said, Hey, if you want, you can go to Station 2, which is one of the most sought-out stations. And so Joe feels very blessed that he didn't get sent to Station 12. But, but if we hear that phrase, uh, if we hear that phrase, uh, those who consider themselves religious, and yet, that's exactly what you're going to think. Here's the, the, the setup. No, no matter what you think of that word religious, you you assume something bad's going to happen. So James is wanting us, it's kind of interesting how he works this in, he's wanting us to hear that word, religious or religion, and and not have a sense of pride, not not think, hey, if you consider yourself religion, religious, and then kind of like, yeah, that's pretty good. He doesn't want us to have a sense of pride or, or a sense of accomplishment. He doesn't want us to puff out our chest, but instead take a step back and take a closer look at our faith and how it's impacting us. So, so we see the setup, but but let me get a little more personal here. Let me let me kind of explain the text and and show you what the situation was. James purposely uses a word here for religion or a different aspect of that for religious. He purposely uses a word here that has the idea of ceremonial worship has the idea of ceremonial worship. So, so in other words, it's, it's more of an outward expression than an inward transformation. So, so when someone asks you, are you religious, what, they're, what they usually mean by that is, do you go to church? Do you take communion? Do you, do you donate to your church? Do you sing religious songs? Rarely are they asking, are you born again? Have you been transformed by Jesus are you living in holiness? And, and the readers of James' letter would have understood that tension 
between religion and holiness. In fact, Paul highlighted in his writings, highlighted that idea in, in the book of Acts, verses, uh, chapter 26, verse 5. He, he was on trial, actually, but before King Agrippa and the governor of Festus, and he said this, They have known me, and he's talking about the Jews, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. In other words, Paul was saying, they saw me do all the religious stuff. They saw me follow all the rules. They saw me keep the commandments. They saw me do the churchy things required of me. So James is asking us to examine ourselves. He's asking us, do you consider yourself religious? Now, it's not necessarily good or bad, because probably most of us would say, yeah, I'm religious. So James says, if you are religious, and that's where this tension is, that's where he he does a little bit of a play on word, if you are religious, let me show you what that really looks like. And so he gives us the example. James actually gives us three examples of what our religion should look like. Now, now I just want you to know this is not an exhaustive list. It's not a magical list. So, so if you nail these three, then suddenly you've just got it all put together. It's not magical. It's not a step-by-step list. Do this, and then this, and then this, and you've nailed it. It's, it's not that at all. It's just simply three broad examples of, of what it, we will look like as a Christian if we do these things. James is writing to a Jewish audience. So just like when we studied the book of Hebrews, it's a Jewish audience, and they would have understood his play on words. They would have understood that when he used this word for religion, that he was really talking about the ceremonial stuff. He would have been giving a nod to their Jewish heritage. But then he switched it and, and redefined it as transformation. What he really is wanting us to understand is, is, is your religion, religion changing your heart? See, I can, I can be ceremonially religious. I can sit in a pew week after week after week after year after year. I can, I can do all the religious things required of me. I can say all the right stuff. I can have all the right answers. I can, I can know everything I need to know about church and still not have my heart changed. These three things he talks about here come from a changed, transformed heart. Now, the first one he mentions, first one he mentions, you, you might assume would not make this list. He's going to, he's only going to give three here. You would think the first one wouldn't necessarily make the list. And, and I'm going to guess that none of us are excited that it's on the list. Here's the first one. He says, you need to have control. We saw that in verse 26. He said, uh, and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues. He says, if you don't keep a tight rein on your tongue, you're deceiving yourself and your religion's not really right. Some of us would have been a whole lot more comfortable with other things there. 
If he'd have said, hey, you've got to give 10% to the church, a lot of us would have been like, hey, I can do that. If he would have said, you you need to go to church every Sunday, a lot of us would have said, done that, I'm already doing that. If he would have said, hey, you want to be religious, you have to teach Sunday school or volunteer in other areas, a lot of us would have sign me up, but, but don't tell me to control my tongue. Why, why, did he, why did he tie transformation? Why did he tie a changed heart for Jesus with our tongue? Well, I think, I think the first reason, and, and we're not, we're not going to go in depth here, but the first reason is that that's something he talked about a lot in this book. We, uh, a while back we studied James, so I'm not going to reiterate all this. But, but in chapter 1, go back to, up to verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. So, so he'd already been talking about this idea of, of anger and controlling your tongue. Then over in chapter 3, he uh, brings it up again. I'm not going to read this whole text, but chapter 3, verses uh, 3 through 12, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take a chip as an example. Although they are large, they are driven by strong winds. They are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great force is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. Now, you can go ahead and read on through 12 and you see the rest of that. So, so it's a reoccurring theme in this book. He's challenging his, his, his audience that, hey, you have to control what you say. So that's the first reason he throws it. Second, the second thing I think he throws it, uh, reason he throws it in there is, is words are powerful. Just like that word but, when you see it in a, a sentence, when it's spoken to you, you know something's going to happen. Words are powerful. Now I don't know. I don't know if they say this anymore. When I grew up, I, I heard this little, uh, little uh, cliche, this little statement all the time. And I, I haven't heard it in years. But, but you remember that us old folks, folks know this: sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a bunch of malarkey! Now I don't like sticks and sp- stones, and I don't. You know that they do hurt, but, but, but who? Who came up with that, that words don't hurt? Now, if you don't believe me, just watch a, watch a small child. You take a small child and someone comes up to them and they tell them they look beautiful and they tell them their outfit is nice and, oh, you have a wonderful smile. And, and, and if they did something, said, you just did that great. And, and you'll see a, a little kid just burst into a smile and their chest will, will pop up and they're, they're, they'll straighten their back and you can just see the pride, you can see the appreciation in them. But you take that same kid and and you and you destroy them that same kid and you tell them you're disappointed in that same kid and you say they messed up you'll see a kid lose that smile you'll see a, a kid start to shrink away words are powerful but here's the real reason i think here's the main reason that he included and i you're not going to like this when i don't like it either but words reveal what is in our heart. Do you realize that? Now, words reveal what is in our heart. So 
So whether they're out of anger or, uh, or, or their words of bitterness, uh, whether they're words of evil or judgment or corruption or, or encouragement and blessing and joy and hope, the words that we speak reveal our, our heart. So, so even words that we speak in anger, you know those words that you spit out and soon as, soon as you spit them out, you, you regret them and you like, and then you say as if this is okay. I didn't mean that. Well, yeah, you did. <laughs> let, me, let me just get personal. Yes, I did. B- because what I say comes from, from inside. It comes from my, my what well, comes from my heart. Jesus, um, Jesus gives us some encouragement uh, or some instruction. Maybe it's, maybe it's not real encouraging for us, but it's truth. Over in Matthew chapter 12, if you have your Bibles turned there, you're, you're going to want to underline this or, or, or maybe tear it out of your Bible. I don't know. Uh, Matthew chapter 12, 34 and following, Jesus says this, uh, partway through verse 34, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Did you catch that? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so what's in you is what comes out. A good man brings good things out of good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in, in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for empty words they have spoken. For by your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Whew. So, so... He's flipping the script here. So, so you want to use this word religion? It's okay. Now, now it used to mean ceremonial, but let's flip it around and say it means transformational. And if we're going to be religious, then it has to affect our heart. And where our heart is is where our words will be. Now, now he goes on. He gives a couple more. Look at verse 27. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. So we all want pure and faultless religion, I, I would hope. And this is what he says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The, the message version of the Bible says this, real religion, the kind that passes muster before God, the Father is this, reach out to the homeless and loveless in their plight. Reach out to the homeless and loveless. The, the Greek word there is, is episkoteomai which means to look after, to inspect, to care for. It, it has the idea of, of not just a casual glance, but, but looking close. How many of you have ever lived in an apartment and, and had to move out of that apartment and then go through an inspection? Have you ever done that? You, you've had to go through an inspection, the, the owner or the manager, whoever it might be, comes in and looks to make sure there's no holes in the wall. And I remember going to Columbia and cleaning out, uh, helping clean my son's apartment when he was in college, and uh, we were just hoping that they didn't get tacked more stuff on. It, if they lost their, their deposit, so be it. That was the filthiest. There were four guys living in that for two years. It was, there was stuff growing in the bathroom that I don't even want to think about anymore, but, uh, Reed and I have been there a couple times. The first apartment we lived in after we got married was in Joplin. A, a little, a little apartment. Why I remember this? Uh, 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 um, well, I thought I remember. Three sixteen and a half North Joplin Street was the address. Uh, little upstairs apartment, and and I remember when the guy came to inspect it. Uh, it, it was about five o'clock at night, and 
the electricity had already been turned off. We had already moved, and, and we met back there. The electricity had been off, which was a good thing. And I remember him looking through the apartment. It didn't take long because it was only two rooms. And he looked through, and he said, everything looks fine. And I remember going, Whew. See, he, he didn't look close. Because right in the middle of the living room, and confession is good for the soul, right? I think this is the first time I've ever told this story. Uh, first time I've ever confessed this sin uh, to anyone else. I did to God. But we had a cat that had knocked our iron off the ironing board. Rita was in the other room. The iron landed on, and this carpet was nasty, old, flat carpet, but landed on the carpet. When Rita came back in several minutes later and lifted up the iron, there was an iron-shaped burn spot, burned all the way through in the carpet. I, I don't want to admit this, but you know what I did? I went downstairs where there was a little rug made out of that same carpet, and I cut out an iron-shaped little patch, and I glued it into the, the carpet, and and he didn't see it. <laughs> Whew, we got our deposit back. Now, actually, I am not proud of that. Don't do that. That's bad. I, If I knew what the guy's name was, I'd send him, you know, Hundred bucks for the carpet. I don't know. I, I don't feel good about that. But, but, but sometimes that's how we we do things. We just kind of glance. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about if you've ever been in one of those apartments where they came in and they looked at everything. They 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 took their finger and and looked to see if there was dust on a ledge. That's what he he he's saying. We need to look close. It's the the same word. The same word for to, to look after is what is the word Jesus uses. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 36, he says, I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. See, see, we are called, if our religion is true, if our religion is, is what it's supposed to be, we are called to see people who are hurting. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17 says, Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Psalm chapter 10, 17 and 18 says, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. Psalm 82, 3 says, Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. And, and later in this same book, in chapter 2, verse 14, James James brings it home. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no do- deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or a sister or an orphan or a widow is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way... Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So, so what have we seen so far as examples? We need to clean our hearts so that our words reflect Him. We we need to see others so that we we see what's going on and then are willing to reach out and do something about it. And He gives us one more example. He says we need to have character. Notice what He says at the end of that verse. Uh, 
and and we need to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. Uh, we we need to keep from wearing the world on us, from letting letting the world show up on us. Uh, in in First Peter chapter one, Peter uses that same word uh, that that polluted or blemish or spot. There's a lot of different ways and versions used for that. But but he uses that same word when talking about Jesus. In in verses 18 and 19, I know your notes, I have the wrong verse there, but verses 18 and 19, for you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ. Now, this is how he describes him, a lamb without blemish or defect. If you want to be religious if you want to have the religion that god is talking about here in these verses then our goal is to try to keep ourselves from being stained by the world i've got some bad news we're not going to succeed we're 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 not going to go through the world we're not going to travel through the world and keep all the blemishes off there's only one that did that and that was christ but but we are to strive to keep the blemishes of the world away from us. To be religious, to have have control and have compassion and have character. Ron, Ron Meal tells this story. He said he came home one day, one, one evening from his office and, and uh, walked in the kitchen. His wife was, was preparing supper. He walked in and uh, came up to her and gave her a kiss and stepped back and asked her how her day was. And, and in, immediately he noticed something odd about how she was acting. Something didn't seem quite square. And, and uh, so he kind of just kept talking. And pretty soon she just folded her arms and stood there and looked at him. Some of us know what that, what that looks like. And he's trying to think, what did I do? It's, I, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't say anything. I didn't, did I forget that? And he's sitting there and he's, he finally, he finally just says, what? And she said these words that caused his heart to sink. You ate at McDonald's today, didn't you? See, he was supposed to be on a diet and he had taken a salad to work and that's what he was supposed to eat. But instead he had ditched the salad and gone to McDonald's. And he's thinking in his remorse, how did she know? My wife, if I debit card it, my wife knows everywhere I go. I think, I think a, a bell rings every time I use my debit card at the bank for her. But, um, so literally she said, why did you eat a McDonald's today? But, uh, but he's like, how did, did someone see me there and tell her? And, and finally he said, sorry, honey, but how did you know? She's standing there still with her arms crossed and folded across her chest, and she does this. And she looks down on his chest, his shirt. And and he's still like, what? And she just kind of nods, and then he looks down, and right there on his pocket was a big old hunk of dried ketchup. (laughs) A testimony to where he'd been and what he'd been doing. Now, we're we're, we're not going to we're not going to always make it through a day without splotches of ketchup or grease or 
a drink that we've had splattered on our spiritual outfits, but but we're called. We're called to try to to, to do that, to, to be like Christ, to live unstained from the world. What can I be? What can I be? Well, if we understand the definition, if we realize that it's talking about transformation, we can be religious. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we, we pray today that you will help us. Help us be religious in the way you mean it. Not, not just doing things on, on the outside, not just outward expressions, not just coming and sitting in a pew or saying the right things or, or being in the right places. But Father, have a heart that's transformed by you, that transforms the way we talk, the way we see other people and meet those needs. And, and Father, the way that we make it through this world, uh, trying to be unblemished by, by the things of the world. Father, we thank you that you entrust us and believe in us to do those. Uh, Father, give us that strength and power today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing? to the